A century ago, if you were walking around downtown Knoxville looking for something to do, there was one reliable spot where there was always a crowd. You could make your way to the corner of Clinch and Prince, right near the post office, and then you would queue up and wait your turn in the line. And in the distance, you could see this seven-foot-tall, ornate pillar with large glass windows on each side. You might chat with some of the people in line. Some of them came and stood in this line every single day. And these folks were given a nickname. They were called the Leaners. And what were these leaners leaning around to get a glimpse of? It wasn't some breaking news report. It wasn't local gossip. It was the Daily Weather Report. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we take a trip to Knoxville, Tennessee, to visit what was once the hottest spot to be on a weekday morning, and what is now one of the very last weather kiosks left in the country. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Okay, so what is so special about a weather kiosk? When you think of a kiosk, you think of a a little hut, you know, an, an info booth or a place to buy a newspaper on the way to the train. Cities are filled with little kiosks doing different things. But in the early 1900s, the weather kiosk was a huge deal. I think the first time I touched it, I, I thought, gosh, this is real because it, it's really solid, solid iron. And you can tell just with a touch. This is Jack Neely. He grew up in Knoxville, still lives there. He's a former newspaper reporter, and he wrote about rock shows and local news. But after a while, he started getting interested in the history of his hometown. We didn't really talk about the story of the city very much. Nashville and Charleston and Atlanta and places that had kind of obvious histories, and uh, Knoxville just didn't. And I began really getting curious and looking into it and writing about it. Jack started the Knoxville History Project, where he writes about the overlooked history of the city, including this weather kiosk. By the turn of the 20th century, weather reporting had become relatively advanced. The U.S. Weather Bureau had over 500 observation sites spread across the country. And the Bureau could track oncoming storms. It could give real-time temperature and humidity readings. But what the Bureau did not have was a reliable way to get these weather reports 
out to the people. People really didn't know what the 20th century was going to be like, how we would convey information. Are the newspapers enough for people to know what the weather is going to be like? The agency tried all sorts of things. They tried signal flags. They tried sending reports through the mail. But none of it was fast enough. None of it captured these up-to-the-hour readings. People wanted to know the temperature, and they wanted to know it now. That is when Professor Charles F. Marvin stepped in. He was the head of the Weather Bureau's Instrument Division. And in 1908, he unveiled his design for the weather kiosk. And this was no dinky little stand. The kiosk was going to be a seven-foot-high obelisk. It was going to be made out of solid iron. There were four huge glass panels that all contained thermometers, rain gauges, something called a hair hygrometer. This was still the era of the telegraph. Things like radios, just broadcasting in general, was not widespread at the time. So this was all pretty high-end technology. And it was being made available to the public. Imagine today if you were going to take a peek through a glass wall and watch cutting-edge robots perform tasks or ask the best AI model in the world some kind of question. It was kind of like that. And all you had to do was get in line and take a look. Big cities wanted in on this brand new technology. In 1912, Knoxville was thinking pretty highly of itself because we had a progressive reputation and we we were having a series of expositions. That was a really big deal here. Helen Keller was there, Booker T. Washington. But I think it was partly in preparation for that big exposition that they wanted something modern, like a weather kiosk. But the Weather Bureau was only constructing about a dozen or so of these kiosks. And cities like Washington, D.C., San Diego, Knoxville, all these cities that wanted to show that they were vibrant, progressive places, they all put up a bid to get their own kiosk. And it was competitive. There was even an investigation by the Iowa Plain Dealer into whether cities were getting preferential treatment because of connections to Weather Bureau officials. Well, three years after the first kiosk went up, Knoxville's campaign finally worked. A kiosk was installed in Knoxville in May of 1912, right in the center of downtown. In addition to all the temperature, gauges, and gadgets in the kiosk, the Weather Bureau staff posted daily weather maps and forecasts. To have a professional weatherman regularly updating this thing that's in an easily accessible spot, it's something that people would pay attention to. So Knoxvillians would line up every day to check the weather forecast. But the weather kiosk became more than just a utility. It became something like a social event, like the town's central water cooler. People would come to check the temperature, but they would stay to get the latest gossip. And the kiosk started growing a following, a following of these folks that were just die-hard super fans of the weather kiosk. These were the ones called the leaners. And they would just hang around the kiosk, I guess lean against it, and talk about the weather. People even had pet names for it. Columnists called it Mr. Kiosk. It was kind of an exotic word, and I think people kind of enjoyed saying kiosk. I'd also said some people call it men and max, as if there were little characters in the kiosk because that was the minimum temperature, the masculine temperature. The kiosk became kind of a mascot for the city and took on a life of its own. The newspapers would post the daily forecasts and also updates on Mr. Kiosk himself. One Knoxville newspaper named the humidity gauge wet bulb, who, quote, also lives in the kiosk 
is a stepchild or something of Min and Max, and he knows all about humidity and other long words. Another paper printed an interview with the kiosk, who they named Mr. John J. Kiosk. And Mr. Kiosk is quoted as saying, Live a quiet life. Never get excited about anything. Always be where people can find you and be ready to tell them what they want to know. Knoxville and other kiosk cities were becoming quite attached to their beloved weather men. But controversies around the kiosks would soon start to heat up. On July 10th, 1930, Knoxville and much of the country was experiencing a heat wave, with some of the hottest temperatures since the Weather Bureau started keeping records. The kiosk was kind of the, the center of attention that day. I don't know how many hundreds or maybe thousands of people might have stopped there to check the weather just to be able to tell their grandchildren how hot it was. And I saw it on the kiosk. And the kiosk being where it was, registered like 112 that day. But the weatherman was coming down and reporting, well, it was really just 103.7. And it wasn't that one day. People started noticing kiosks around the country starting to go on the fritz, reporting measurements that did not match up with the Weather Bureau's readings. The once reliable weather gauges were now causing real confusion. Critics started to ask, can we still trust the kiosk? The tone of the newspapers also started to take a turn. In Washington, D.C., an article in The Post claimed, the kiosk is a meteorological liar. It should be made to tell the truth or else be banished. The Reno Gazette Journal pronounced the kiosk weather records worthless. And critics in the Knoxville Sentinel declared the kiosk a faker. These once friendly and beloved weather kiosks were now being called things like an abominable liar and a fireless cooker who does not deserve a thermostat. Oh, how the mighty had fallen. Even if the headlines were over the top and people were having a bit of fun, there were some very real issues with the kiosks. First, the enclosed design was a problem in and of itself. It created a tiny greenhouse, so the air inside the kiosk was hotter than the air outside. Not great for predicting the weather. And most of the kiosks were located on hot, traffic-heavy corners, so they were measuring what was called the street temperature. And finally, by the 1930s, these kiosks were just being edged out by a newer, hotter technology on the block, the radio. So with all of this happening, the Weather Bureau decided to phase out the weather kiosks. The agency was no longer maintaining Max and Min and the other weather instruments inside the kiosk. The Knoxville kiosk was officially decommissioned in 1933. So after two decades, the city suddenly had to decide what to do with this aging iron pillar. Even in retirement, Mr. Kiosk still popped up in the public conversation. And people had all sorts of opinions about what should happen to it. Some people wanted to leave it where it was. Uh, some people thought it, was, it looked like a great place to sell peanuts or a Coca-Cola. One of the most interesting uh, proposals was that I think people observed that it looked sort of like these things that were in arcades at the time that had had a fortune-telling automaton. Usually a, a woman would hand out fortunes and she would move her head and things like that. And why not put, a, put an automaton inside the thing and give out fortunes? The press, once again, was part of the story with these kiosks. Newspapers at the time were filled with ads about auctioning off the kiosks to the highest bidder, and in Knoxville, the highest bidder turned out to be a place called the Greenwood Cemetery. 
the winning bid was $3, which today, but probably less than $100. It was cheap, partly because it was so difficult to move. Mr. Kiosk was uprooted to the northeast part of town, where it was made to announce the latest funerals and obituaries for the city of Knoxville. The kiosk was stripped of its instruments and became a bit of a glorified death billboard. And that's where the kiosk stayed for 70 years, until 2005, which brings us back to Jack's story. Growing up, Jack had never seen the kiosk in real life, but he had come across it in old photos while he was digging through the history of the city. And then one day, it just reappeared. I thought, gosh, they made something that looks just like that old kiosk. Kind of spooky to fabricate something like that. But then Jack reached out his hand, placed it on the iron-sided weather gauge, and realized this was no fake. A local businessman had paid to have the kiosk restored, removed from its graveyard post, and moved back to its original location. Mr. Kiosk was officially back. Today, if you stop by the corner of Clinch and Market, formerly Prince Street, the kiosk is there and tells you all about local history and its own role in weather forecasting. Knoxvillians didn't know each other except for, you know, gathering and regardless of race or religion or whatever, everybody's interested in the weather. And I think every city may need something like that. This episode was produced by Alexa Lim. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.